0: Well, it's been a couple of weeks since I last produced a Midweek Connection and I want to thank Pastor Brett for taking over in my absence. But now I'm back and ready to pick up with responses to questions for the pastor. Now this week's question is a doozy. It comes from Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 that speaks of sons of God taking the daughters of men and producing children who are referred to as the Nephilim. So, today, I'm going to dive into this topic, into these deep waters, and attempt to bring some clarity to a passage that is filled with ambiguity. But first, this week's announcements. It's February the 7th, 2024, and this is your Midweek Connection. Okay, a quick reminder that this Sunday, February the 11th, is our second Sunday prayer gathering. We meet in the community room from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m., and John Hunsberger, one of our elders, will be leading. So I hope to see you there. Also, our next membership class is coming up Sunday, February the 18th from 4 to 6 p.m. So if you're interested in exploring what membership at TMC is about, this is your opportunity to do so. And you can register for the membership class using the link provided in this Friday's email blast. Then, Memorial Meal Team. This is a reorganization of the Funeral Meal Team and we're looking for men and women who would like to serve families during their time of loss. You can learn more about this team and this ministry by using the link provided in this Friday's email blast Or you can stop by the Meal Team table and talk with Penny Murphy this coming Sunday. Number three, elder and deacon affirmation. On Sunday, February the 25th, the membership of TMC will be asked to register their affirmation for our elders. Elders who are eligible for another two-year term. And there will be one man there who this would be his first time serving as an elder at TMC. Now, to help you get to know those who are eligible for affirmation, we've created this booklet here that gives the name, a picture, and a brief bio of each candidate. This year there are only elder candidates to consider because the Deacon Board is fully staffed and all are eligible to continue their service. You can obtain this booklet uh, either at the west or the east entrances. Finally. Computer help. You know, from time to time, uh, we have members or attenders who have some trouble connecting with our midweek connection or online offering of our Sunday gatherings. And they will then contact us and ask if there's anyone in the church that can help them sort that out on their computer. So, if you have technical skills and would be willing to help someone who does not have them, I would like to get your name and phone number so that when these situations come up, you can be called on to help. If you're willing to serve in this way, please contact Julie Danger. Her email is there on the screen. And let her know of your willingness to help with this issue. Well, that does it for this week's announcements. Let's now turn our attention to this week's question for the pastor. Well, this week's question for the pastor Comes from a member who asks, Do you think that Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, is describing angels having sexual relations with women? (laughs) Thanks for your help. (laughs) Well, this is a passage of scripture and a topic that is quite controversial among differing Bible scholars. The passage is a prelude to the account of Noah's flood. Let's take a moment to read the passage, and then we'll talk about it. I'm going to read it through verse 8. Genesis 6, beginning with verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters of me, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually." And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. The key to having understanding regarding this passage, really, is to identify the following. First, who are the sons of God being spoken of here in the passage? Who are the daughters of man? And who are the Nephilim? So, there are two major positions regarding these groups. One position takes a natural view and the other a supernatural view. Let's talk first about the natural view. The natural view sees all three groupings as nothing more than human beings. Uh, This view sees the sons of God as a reference to the godly line of Seth, that son that God gave to Adam and Eve in place of Abel who was slain by Cain. As to the daughters of men, this view identifies them as coming from the ungodly line of Cain. As to the Nephilim, uh, these were simply the offspring of the union between the Sethite men and the Cainite women. Now, well, These children, at least the males, says, became mighty men, men of renown. Now, this position holds that the great sin occurring here is the mixing of a godly and ungodly line that produced offspring who did not know or serve the Lord. These uh, ones led the earth's population away from God into greater and greater sin that ultimately resulted in the judgment of the flood. That's the natural view. The supernatural view has quite a different perspective. The supernatural view sees the sons of God as angels, fallen angels. The phrase sons of God is translated from the Hebrew bene ha Elohim." This same Hebrew phrase is found in Job 1.6, one and eight seven, and it always is speaking of angels. Now, although it may be argued that the phrase is used at times to describe natural men, the greater, if not exclusive, use of the phrase is to identify angelic beings. The daughters of man are simply that, females born to male-female unions. You know, nowhere in the text are these women linked with the line of Cain, only that they are human females born to human male uh, and female parents. The Nephilim in the supernatural view are seen as hybrid beings, semi-divine beings, who also are believed to have been giants. (laughs) Not just smart or powerful beings, but, but also larger than the offspring of human male female offspring. Interestingly, when Israel was on the verge of entering the promised land, and they sent out the 12 spies to see what the land was all about, they came back with this report. Take note, Numbers chapter thirteen, verses thirty two and uh, thirty-two and thirty-three. Verse thirty-two says, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to be we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. <laughs> And so we seemed to them. So, which view is correct? Well, this is a passage in which it really pays not to be overly dogmatic. There simply isn't enough information to come down hard on an absolute position. However, I do believe that there is enough divine revelation contained in the whole of Scripture to point us to the supernatural view as the likely correct view. First, the natural view simply reads things into the text that are not there. The idea of men coming from a godly line of Seth and the women coming from an ungodly line of Cain, where is that found? It's certainly not found in Genesis 6 and I don't know anywhere else where it's recorded. And when did God say that the men of one family line could not marry the women of another family line and that doing so would be a grave sin? Again, I'm not aware of, aware of any such instruction from the Lord. And how do we connect those points to God's decision to destroy all flesh through the flood except eight people? To me, the super, the, the natural view is comes from an unwillingness to accept that the supernatural is found throughout Scripture. Just because truth may be very strange does not mean it's not truth. For example, a virgin conceiving and bearing a child that is 100% God and 100% man. (laughs) Now, I believe that, but it's not very natural, is it? So, what do I have to offer to promote the idea of fallen angels cohabitating with human women? Both Peter and Jude point to us in that direction. So let's take a look at 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 in the NASB. Verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Here's where we get to the part that's good. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So, in this passage, it seems that a sin was committed by certain angels that led them to be um, cast into a pit of darkness until a day of future judgment. And that sin seems to be connected to the pre-flood world, just like Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 presents. But what was the sin of these angels identified in verse 4? Well, Jude verses 6 and 7 shine some light on that. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of Of eternal fire. Now, in this passage, we find angels who abandoned their proper abode, who, as it is said, went outside of their own domain. And for this, just as Peter said, they are being kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So, what is the nature of this moving outside of their own dominion or their own domain? Well, verse 7 points us to immorality, like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, stating that they went after strange or different flesh. Now, certainly, the daughters of men would be different in their makeup than the fallen angels who either took on some form of physical being or, as some have suggested, possessed willing human male bodies. You know, it's all quite strange, I know. And yet, when you take 2 Peter, the Second Peter passage and the Jude passage and the Genesis 6 passage and the Numbers 13 passage, there seems to be credible evidence that angels somehow cohabitated with human women. And from that union, the Nephilim giants were spawned. Now someone says, but pastor, what about what Jesus said to the Sadducees in Matthew 22:30? I say, Well, yes, what did he say? Well, let's look. Jesus said, For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, what Jesus said is that in heaven, the angels do not marry. He did not say they could not have sexual relations or even produce offspring, only that they do not marry. But what about the fallen angels on earth? Do they marry? Did they marry? Certainly they had left their rightful place of obedience and worship of their Creator, so it's entirely possible that they, the fallen ones, went outside of what God's will was for them to engage in this immoral activity. Well, the last question is, why would these angels do such a thing? And perhaps it was just about lust for human women. Or perhaps they wanted to procreate beings who would be in their likeness. Or perhaps it was part of a satanic conspiracy to pollute the human bloodline so that the human race would no longer be fully human and thus put a roadblock into God's uh, promise to send a deliverer From the seed of the woman. You know, Scripture clearly teaches that God intended and did send such a deliverer for humanity, but not for the fallen angelic realm, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. You know, for all I know, perhaps Satan thought that if the human bloodline could be polluted to not be just human, it would stop the Messiah from coming through humanity to deliver humanity from the chains of sin and death. You know, the bottom line is, we don't know why the fallen angels would cohabitate with human women and produce a hybrid personage. It only seems like they did. And perhaps this would better explain God's judgment in the flood taking all life but Noah and his family. And if after the flood it happened again, as it seems to suggest, given that the Nephilim was on the earth after the flood, it might explain why God called Israel to wipe out every living person of certain people groups because perhaps the bloodline of those people groups uh, of the Nephilim was among them. <laughs> well, you know, we've gone way out into the Nether- Netherlands of uh, speculation where Scripture does not give a a final definitive word. So let's bring it back to a definitive word, and that's this. Sin came into the human race through one man, that is, Adam. And sin's debt was paid through one man, the second Adam, who is Jesus the Christ. Through his death and resurrection, he defeated sin, death, and Satan, and he offers complete and total forgiveness to all, who will turn from, self, from sin and self to embrace him as Savior and Lord. My question to you is, have you embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Would you like to talk more about that? My contact information is on the screen. If you reach out, I'll reach back, and the Lord will meet you at the point of your need. Well, let's stop here for a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to kind of dive into this most difficult topic and to attempt to shine some light. I hope it's been helpful. Lord, whatever we find there in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and whatever that actually means, we need to understand that what is perhaps more important is the fact that all humanity has sinned, and we all are in need of a Savior. And Satan was unable to... To stop the Savior from coming, He was unable to cause Him to sin. He was unable to keep Him from the cross. He was unable to hold Him in the grave. And through the cross and through the resurrection, you have provided for those who will repent and turn to Christ as Savior and Lord a complete forgiveness of sin and a uh, bringing into your family those men and women, boys and girls, who receive Jesus as their Savior. Lord, thank you for that truth, and thank you for saving uh, us who have already been saved. Lord, we pray for those who have yet to be saved, that the message would get to them, and that they would come to faith in Christ as well. Help us at the Mission Church to be equipped and ready to share the good news of the gospel with those who are willing to receive it. And may we see fruit in the days to come from that ministry. and Father, I lift this prayer to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this Sunday we open Revelation chapter 6 and the first seal that will be opened from the scroll that Jesus took from the hand of the Father. Now, I hope that you're going to connect with us live in the worship center, but if not, perhaps online, for the beginning of our journey through the time of tribulation that is coming upon the earth. Until then, God bless and have a great week.